learn from your owls. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com and you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore Beeble. Today we are looking at 13 players across the Western Conference who could be in line for a breakout season. I'll probably mention a few more names than the 13 as well. Yesterday we looked at the Eastern Conference, so go check out yesterday's show, whether that's on YouTube or where you find your audio podcasts. Went through 14 players in the Eastern Conference who could be looking to break out. Michael Bolton, he wants to know about it. Let's get to it. To it. Let's get to it indeed. These are players, when I talk breakouts, it's not necessarily draft sleepers. It's not guys are going to smash their ADP because sometimes the ADP or the rankings is adjusted accordingly. So some of these guys will be sleepers, but some of these players will just be players who are looking to take a big step forward and really increase their production for this coming season. Let's start with the Portland Trailblazers, and a couple of candidates I could have had on this squad. One of them was Anthony Simons, but the player I ended up going with was Zach Collins, who is going to be the starting power forward for this team now that the Chief Al Farouk Aminu is in Orlando. Sometimes it may be good, sometimes it may be shit. Collins had an ankle injury, but he is ready to go. He'll be full go in camp, so that's a that's a great news for him there. He had some big games at the start of last season, some really high-efficiency, high-blocking games. I'm a little bit worried about him playing power forward instead of center because when you're playing at center, obviously your rebounds, your blocks, your field goal percentage, all those numbers go up. But Collins is now headed into his third season. He's had that standard one to two years of blazer understudy, which happens to nearly all of their rookies where they barely play their first year ramp it up a bit in their second year. Now he's in his third year. Should be looking at 30 minutes-ish or 30 minutes plus. Can be a top 100 guy. I think he's underranked over on Yahoo and ESPN. His ADP is uh, is too low on all of those sites and on fan tracks as well. He blocks shots. He hits threes. He can be efficient. He hits free throws. He's a good rebounder. And most importantly, the opportunity is there for big Zach Collins. He'll be one of two Collins players who I think is going to be a breakout guy yesterday, of course. Talked about Johnny Collins with the Atlanta Hawks. But I think Zach is going to put up big numbers. Simon's another one who's going to move from a non-existent role into a role where he is the first guard off the bench probably playing in excess of 20 minutes a night, uh, whether he can translate that into enough fantasy value. Probably a stretch unless CJ or Dame get in, gets injured, but the Blazers love Anthony Simons. But uh, I am going with Zach Collins as my pick for the Blazers' breakout player for this coming season. Let's look at the Clippers. It wasn't an easy one here. Of course, adding Kawhi Leonard, adding Paul George means that a lot of players have to take a step back. But I went with Landry Shamet as their guy. Now, Shamet is not the best fantasy player. We're all well aware of what he does. He comes in and he hits threes. He doesn't do anything else, but he comes in and he hits threes. Now, I there there is a a chance that because again this this is really beginning to piss me off across the NBA players who have you know such issue with playing the position that actually is best for them and best for their team. Uh, we're seeing it in LA with Anthony Davis refusing to play center or you know, not wanting to play center and the Lakers bowing to his whims. I think it might actually happen with the Clippers as well, with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, both guys who dominate at the four but don't want to play there. So they're going to likely start someone like Jermichael Green at the four so that Paul George and Kawhi can play the two and the three. And that might put Landry Shamit to the bench. Now, I know who, if I want to have a lineup out there, I want Shamit in there over Jermichael Green every single day of the week. But that could have an impact on what Shamit does. 
depending on how Doc Rivers deals with Kawhi, deals with Paul George. But even at the beginning of the season when Paul George is likely to be out and Kawhi's going to have his games off, that means Shamit just moves back into that role. Now, as a rookie last season, he hit over two threes a game. And over the final 36 games of last season, two and a half threes in just 26 minutes on 45% shooting. And that is obviously excellent. The problem with Shamit is he's a negative in every other category. Even though he's hitting two and a half threes per game, still only getting 10 uh, points a game. That's not much. No rebounds, assists, steals, or blocks. Um, yeah, not a great overall field goal percentage. An excellent free throw percentage, but that's on low volume. Actually, it's not even as good as what you'd expect. 80% on free throws, which is okay, but low volume means that has no impact in that category. So where does he take that step forward? I think he's going to have to take some more shots. He's going to have to keep banging those threes in at a high rate. And if he does become a really strong three-point stream option in pretty much any league because you can put him in, get those two, two and a half threes per game and not be hurt by generally general inefficiency because he's not taking many other shots. And in a three-point percentage league, uh, like someone like Seth Curry, for example, you know you're going to get a big impact there from Shamit, who will actually be a standard league guy if your league in, uh, includes three-point percentage. So it's his second season. I think he should be starting. I, I, I oh, Actually, let's try it again. If I was the coach, he would 100% be starting. I think there's some doubt between what the, the the Clippers want to do between him and Jermichael Green, which is a concern, but he's still going to get high 20s in minutes. He's still going to bang in two threes a game. And if he hit three threes a game, I definitely wouldn't be surprised if that was the direction that things went for Landry Shamet and the LA Clippers for this coming season. Make sure if you do have fantasy football drafts coming up, you're listening to Locked On Fantasy Football. Vinny I are over there providing all the great info that's going to help you dominate your league. So follow Locked On Fantasy Football on your favorite podcast provider. Let's go on to the next team now as a breakout. We're looking at the Memphis Grizzlies. I went with Jonas Valanciunas, who had a really strong end to last season. The the Grizzlies brought him back on a pretty decent contract. I didn't think they'd be doing that. I thought they'd like to put uh, good old Jaron Jackson Jr. there at center, but no, Valanciunas is back. He doesn't need... 32 minutes to be a real monster of a player. In fact, I think he can be a top 50 guy, top 40 guy in under 30 minutes a night. Over the final 19 games of last season, he played 28 minutes and was the 39th ranked player, averaging 20 and 11. Now, this was a time where he had did have a usage of 30%. I don't think he's going to have that level of usage over the course of this season, but he should be high 20s. He's going to rebound the ball. He's going to play upper end of 20s in minutes. Maybe he gets into the 30s and they run that three-man big rotation with Jaron Jackson, Brandon Clark, and uh, Valanchunas, yes, there's other power forwards, Kyle Anderson, Jay Crowder, those sort of guys who can get minutes. But Valanchunas is an offensive player that they need. We can talk about Ja Moran taking on an offensive load. We can talk about Jaron Jackson. These aren't proven offensive players. The rest of the starting line is probably going to have Jay Crowder, not an offensive guy. Dylan Brooks, I don't even know what he is after missing pretty much all of last season. Or is it Josh Jackson who's there? Or D'Anthony Melton that starts in the backcourt? Like, Valanchunas is going to have to be used quite a bit as a reliable offensive option. And I think that he is going to put up the best season of his career. He's never had a year where he's finished inside the top 50. His last four, uh, five, well, five seasons, he's been 73rd, 63rd, 77th, 73rd, and 68th. I think he can buck that trend because in none of those seasons did he exceed 26 minutes a night, and I think he will exceed that this season and put together the best season of his NBA career. You know I've been a Valentinus fan for a long time, and Toronto have really limited him. I think we're going to see those extra three, three, four minutes a game this season, which is going to push him over the edge. And last year, he was the 68th ranked player in just 22 minutes per night because he had a career high usage of 29.5%. So a big step forward can come from Jonas Valanciunas, and I think he can be somewhat of a breakout player. 
not going to put rookies on that list. I try to avoid second-year guys if possible, although there's going to be plenty of those guys. I just talked about one with Landry Shamit, so maybe Jaron Jackson Jr. could be that guy. But I went with Valanchunas here for the Memphis Grizzlies. Let's look at the Utah Jazz, and I'm going with Royce O'Neal as their breakout player. From all indications for the Jazz, O'Neal is going to be a starter this season. I think we're going to have O'Neal and Boyan Bogdanovich as the starting 3-4 combination with Joe Ingles coming off the bench. Now, O'Neal had some moments last season. He would often replace Ravishing Rick Rubio in the starting lineup and play alongside Donovan Mitchell. We know that he can provide good defensive numbers. Will he be a guy that continually puts up useful fantasy numbers? Probably not. But over the second half of last season, he was a top 200 player. And that was just in 25 minutes a night, just with six points per game. He shot 38% from three over that time. He got you 0.8 blocks. And I think that we can see an improvement in rebounding from O'Neal because he's going to be playing more power forward as opposed to shooting guard. I think we'll get an increase in some of his blocks. And I think his three-point shooting will become more reliable. So for those deeper leagues, we're looking at a guy in a six. 16 team format that should be a top 200 staple who's going to be going to have a fairly solid consistent role and there is room I think for his uh, his overall play to, to improve his three-point output to improve his rebounds and his defensive numbers and that could make him maybe a Tarbo Cephalosha type of a player who you never look to get points out of but he can provide threes he can provide uh, defensive numbers which I think Royce O'Neal will be able to do Donovan Mitchell, I'm not sure that he would really look at as a breakout guy. It is his third year, and players often take a step forward, but adding Mike Conley there might be much like with Jason Tatum last season, where he was an improved player in many areas, but because of the return of Haywood and Irving, his overall fantasy numbers didn't actually get that much better. And I think that might be the case for Mitchell this season, is that other areas might improve some of the setbacks in terms of maybe a, a cap on the usage and the fact that he'll be playing less point guard might actually limit his overall improvement for this coming season. But as for Royce O'Neal, I think his role is going to increase, his minutes are going to increase, and this is going to be a career best. In 16 games last year, he started 16 games. He played 32 minutes a night, averaging 9-5 and five with a, a steal a game and uh, shot 35% from three. That, that's relatively impressive. It's not great numbers for fantasy, but it is impressive enough that we have to look at him. And I think we should be looking at him as not a guaranteed starter, but pretty close to it at this point in the offseason. Let's look at the Sacramento Kings. It could have been De'Aaron Fox, but he broke out last season. It could be Buddy Heald. He broke out last season. I'm a bit worried about how the playing time is going to go for Bogdan Bogdanovich. Harry Giles is still stuck behind um, uh, Dwayne Dedman in the front court. So I'm going with Marvin Bagley. Yes, he is a second-round player, but Bagley... He's going to push himself into a significantly larger role this season. He's going to be the starting power forward. He's going to play more than those 25 minutes a night that he played last season, probably 32 or 33. And he should be at least knocking on the door of 20 and 10 this season. Now, he does have limitations in his game. Not a high block rate guy, a very low assist guy, a very low three-point volume guy, and a poor free throw shooter. So there are significant negatives in his game. But a good field goal percentage guy, shot 50% last year a strong rebounder and a good scorer. There's definite value in there. And if he goes from a one block per game guy to one and a half blocks per game, and in the four games that he did start last season, he did average one and a half blocks. Of course, that is four games. So it's really limited in terms of sample size. He also shot 77% from the line in that time, despite being just a 69% shooter over the season. Giggity. 
So there is some hope for him to actually blow up and become maybe a top 60 guy. I still think that those limitations in assists, steals, blocks, threes, and free throw percentage, which is five categories, limits Marvin Bagley's overall upside. And that's why I don't have him as high as other people do in dynasty rankings, um, just because of those limitations. He could very easily be a 25 and 12 guy, like a Zach Randolph type player. But when you're lacking in those other areas, it does limit your overall upside, especially when you add free throw percentage. And as you play more, as you get better, you take more free throw attempts. Now, maybe he becomes a Blake Griffin type who can improve his free throws. If he gets to 78% from the line, then that's obviously really, really strong, and that boosts his value significantly. Going on the you know, seven attempts per game, you go from 70 to 78% from the line. That is a huge bump. That's a 20-30 ranking spot bump, and Bagley could get that. Hasn't shown it really at any point, but it is something that could happen, and that would change the evaluation. But we're not at that point with Bags just yet, but I do think that he is going to take a significant jump forward. From the 141st ranked player last year, he should be a pretty comfortable staple inside the top 100, probably top 90, maybe top 70 if everything goes right for Bagley. Make sure you're also checking out Locked On NFL as well, guys. Matt Williamson, former NFL scout, providing all the great takes over there. NFL season is ramping up, so make sure you're following Locked On NFL on your favorite podcast provider. Let's go now on to the next team. It is the Dallas Mavericks looking at a breakout player here. We have seen Luka Doncic. We know what he is. Dwight Powell had a bit of a semi-breakout last season. I think he might take a little bit of a step back, but the guy I'm looking at here is DeLon Wright, who moves uh, into the starting point guard role, should be looking at 30 minutes plus, I would think, as that starting point guard. We saw him be a top 100 guy during his stretch in Memphis last season, where he came across, he played at point guard some of the time. He played at shooting guard some of the time as well. We have to remember that. And he's going to be the nominal point guard in Dallas, even though Luka Doncic is going to be running most things. But it's not, you know, we don't need eight assists a night from D-Line Wright. If he can get you four and a half to five assists, four and a half to five rebounds, it's his steal numbers, it's his block numbers. Decent enough scoring, solid free throw, shot 79% from the line. Yes, terrible three-point shooting, 30%. But in the 17-18 season, he shot 37% from three. He shot 33 the year before that. He shot 39 the year before that. Yes, very, very limited to sample size in those first two seasons. But over that um, 17-18 season, he shot 36% on... uh, I'm just trying to work out how many three-point attempts he had in that... um, in that season, just uh, bear with me. Can't actually uh, can't actually find that, so that's a uh, that's annoying. Um, where are we? Three points. One hundred and fifty-three. So that's not it's not crazy small. But last year he was on one hundred and sixty-eight attempts and, and shot worse. So there is, I guess, ways that he could go you know, both directions in that shooting. But it, it, again, it's not really what we're relying upon. I think he's got good value in drafts. ADP on Yahoo of ninety-six, Fantrax ninety-seven as well. ESPN rank ludicrous at two hundred and fifty-five. He will smash that. He will half that. At the very least, so I think DeLon Wright has got a real chance to stamp himself as a starter for this season. At least they signed him to that restricted free agency contract from Memphis. Ended up being a sign and trade. He comes across into this role where he's going to provide good numbers right across the board. Really like DeLon Wright for this upcoming season. Let's look at the New Orleans Pelicans, who their breakout player is. Maybe it's a bit unfair to put Derek Favors. Uh, maybe I'm bending the rules a bit to have Derek Favors as this guy. But I love this situation for Favors. Favors, still amazingly, he only just turned 28. He is not old in any sense of the, the word. He's been around for 25 years. It feels Well, he's obviously been on earth for 28 of them. He's been around in the NBA for what feels like forever. I think this is going to be close to his best season ever. Last season, he played just 23 minutes a night and was the 90th ranked player. 
as things currently stand, the backup center for the New Orleans Pelicans is Jolly Lokafor. Behind that is Jackson Hayes, who I don't believe is ready for regular NBA action. So Favors is going to not only play his preferred position or his best position, hard enough it's preferred because so many of these players don't know what the best position for themselves is. He played power forward last season and backup center. He's going to play center and he's going to go from 23 minutes probably to 30 minutes probably be a 17 point and 10 rebound sort of a guy. He blocked a lot of shots last season. His efficiency went way up. 59% true shooting. I think he can sorry, 62% true shooting. I think he can you know, at least approach that number again. He was a guy that was you know, ridiculously underranked on sites. Yahoo of course has uh, seen my videos it appears of me talking about how undervalued he is and completely bumped him up all the way up to number 37. His fan tracks ADP's at 93, his ESPN ADP's at 96. So there's still a lot of value there, but the Yahoo adjustment has taken some of that value away from Derek Favors, unfortunately. Again, coincidental that it comes uh, about four or five days after I put out a video saying that he's a guy to really abuse on the Yahoo ranks. But he, to me, at the age of 28, is going to put up his best season, his highest scoring season, his best rebounding season. And this will be, I think, Derek Favors' best season on a team that's probably going to play the highest pace in the entire NBA, the Pelicans. Good teammates around him to feed him provide that defense, and we'll see those minutes go up. So I'm really keen to see what Favors can do as a member of the Pelicans this season. Let's go to the Houston Rockets. Wasn't an easy one here. Is James Harden going to break out? Is Russell Westbrook going to break out? Probably not. Eric Gordon, Clint Capella. No, maybe it's Isaiah Hartenstein, but they did bring in Tyson Chandler to be that backup center. I would have been all in on Hartenstein as a backup center for deep leagues. I love his fantasy game. I still think that yeah, there is a chance for him to have one or two weird seasons as a starter. Um, as much as it might pain Matt Smith, I don't think it's going to be Terrence Jones this season. It is going to be Daniel House is the guy that I'm looking at. Now, I think that House projects to be the starting small forward for this Rockets team. We saw Eric Gordon in that role a lot last season. I think they'll move Gordon back to a bench role. I think House is going to move into this position. I think he's going to play you know, close to 30 minutes a night. There was that weird two-way situation with him where the Rockets refused to convert him because, no, they're definitely not trying to save money. They're definitely not trying to be tight asses. Luxury tax, phew, we'll pay the luxury tax, yet every move and every indication is that their owner is being a tight ass. And I know it's hard to be a tight ass when you're a billionaire, but... How do you think they got to being billionaires? By being tight asses. Anyway, Daniel House, going to be the starting small forward, I believe, for this team. Much like Landry Shamet earlier in the show, House can come in and actually hit you two threes a game. He can rebound the ball okay, maybe some steal numbers. He's not going to be really knocking on the door of standard league value, but I do believe that he can be. Well, in, in the 13 games he started last season, he played 30 minutes a night, averaged 11-4 and four with over two threes, with 0.7 steals and 0.6 blocks, with a true shooting of 69%. Giggity! That's bloody good. Now, the 69% probably not going to stick. He shot 51% from two and 48% from three. Not numbers that I think are really going to keep up at that level. But I think House is going to come in. He's going to play this role. He's going to hit his threes. And I think it's going to be a big step forward for Danny this season. He is 26 years of age. Hitting into that prime, yeah, a, a secure contract for this season. And we are going to see that role uh, for him with Eric Gordon playing a yeah, backup three, backup two behind Westbrook and Harden um, and, and not starting. It's, maybe they go the other direction, but the indications I get from the Rockets is that House is going to be that starter and Gordon will move back more into that familiar role as the sixth man on this squad, uh, yeah, giving some deeper league value for Daniel House. Let's look at the San Antonio Spurs. No uh, no question who this is going to be as the breakout player. You know that I'm all in on Derek White this season. I believe that he will start. I believe that there is a real chance 
that Derek White is a better player than DeMar DeRozan by the end of this season. That might sound ludicrous from a fantasy point of view as well. I think he can get there. He can score. We saw that in the playoffs. They had a 35-7-8 game, I think it was. He can get steals. He can rebound. He can get assists. He can block shots. He can be efficient. He can hit free throws. If he starts to get to the line more, if he starts to be more of a, a featured part of the offense, and I think he will with the way that Popovich is treating him or using him with Team USA as well, the fact that he's on that squad, I think is a really indicator from Popovich as to what he loves about Derek White. 30 plus minutes a night is almost going to be a definite from him. I think he's a better player than DeJounte Murray. Now, he's not young. He's 25 years of age, so he should be doing this. And that's exactly what I think we're going to see from Derek White. But he is going to have an opportunity now after playing with Team USA to stamp himself as a player that people know about that people have to pay attention to, that people can look at as someone running things. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see the dynamic between him and DeRozan and Aldridge. And he doesn't need big shots. I don't think he's going to be a 20-plus usage guy, but he contributes in rebounds and assists and threes in blocks and steals in percentages, and he'll score a little bit as well. Even if he doesn't score 15 a game, I think he's still going to be a top 100, probably top 80 fantasy player for this season. We're going to see Derek White really start to stamp himself as a player across the NBA who people need to pay attention to. So he is uh, he is my breakout candidate from the San Antonio Spurs. Let's go to the Phoenix Suns now. Kelly Oubre is the guy I'm talking about. Now, I referenced Oubre a bit when looking at the... Um, uh, the podcast or show the other day when I was talking about post-All-Star break, uh, breakout players. He put up some absolute monster numbers at the end of last season. I don't know whether he's going to start or come off the bench. It doesn't really matter for me with Ubre. His numbers at the end of last season were absolutely ludicrous. His final 28 games, he averaged 19 and 6 with 1.7 steals and a block. The problem we have with, with Ubre is the shooting, uh, only 32% from three last season. And what we did see from him last year is a real increase in block numbers, almost doubled his block rate, significantly increased his steal rate, especially over that second half of the season and over... Um, those final 13 games, he had a 2.1 steals uh, per 36 minutes, which is obviously really, really high, and that made his ranking go through the roof. Now, if those steal numbers regress a little bit, his value probably won't be there. His usage was really sky high as well, 26 usage over the final 28 games. I'm not I'm not sure. I, I don't think he's going to be able to keep that level up because he was doing a lot of that with Devin Booker out of the lineup, but I do think, uh, and TJ Warren out, of course, Full season of Booker, hopefully, ravishing Rick Rubio there, uh, a step up from McCall Bridges, a step up from DeAndre Ayton, Dario Saric in at power forward. So it would be a little bit harder for him to replicate those you know, last 20-odd games of last season for Ubre, but I think he's going to be strong. I think he's going to have a solid role. I think he's going to score, provide some defensive numbers, although that's where the, the real swing point is to me with Ubre with those defensive numbers. But I still think you'd have to class it as, as a real breakout situation for Ubre. Could he be in the mix for sixth man of the year? I think there is an absolute chance chance that he is in that, especially if the Suns become competitive. I'm not sure how competitive they're going to be. They're going to be better than last year. I feel pretty good about saying that, and they won't have the worst record or the worst two or the, or the worst three records in the NBA, but you know how competitive they can be will, will go a long way to determining whether Oubre can be that sixth man or perhaps most improved player in the NBA. 
Let's look at the Oklahoma City Thunder. Lots of opportunities for so many players on this team, of course. They lost Paul George. They lost Russell Westbrook. They lost Jeremy Grant. So players are going to have to step up. MC Hamadou Diallo is probably going to be a regular rotation guy. Can Terrence Ferguson take a step forward? Uh, Danilo Gallinari, the Italian cock, he's going to be the, the focal point of this offense. Can Steven Adams improve? But the guy I really want to talk about is Shea Gildas-Alexander, who projects to be the starting shooting guard on this team, who will take over the starting point guard role if Paul, uh, Chris Paul ends up getting traded. I think we saw, or not, I think, I know we saw some excellent defense as a rookie from Gildas Alexander. We saw some pretty strong efficiency from him last season as well. And now he's going to be in a spot where he's going to get a lot of minutes, a lot of opportunities to learn. Uh, he's going to get some significant usage because somebody has to take shots on this team. Chris Paul will take him. The Rooster will take him. And Gilgis Alexander is going to take those shots. He's going to have to develop at an accelerated rate. He's got uh, a pretty aggressive rank on, on Yahoo now. They have adjusted him into 75. That's probably about right, but he can beat that. Of course, ESPN still got their thumbs up their asses. So he's 173rd over there, which is ridiculous. He is a must-roster player, a must-draft top 100 guy, and a must-draft probably top 80 with absolute top 40 upside. Kyle McEwen's projections, are, I've got, I can see them over on Basketball Monster. He is super aggressive on Gilgis Alexander. So that's, yeah, it's probably something that when me and Kyle do our podcast talking about uh, the differences between our projections, we'll definitely talk about Shea there. But he has got a real chance, again, to stamp himself as the replacement for Russell Westbrook, as the jewel in the hall that uh, that netted that netted the Clippers, Paul George, of course, with the uh, with the draft picks, Gilgis Alexander coming across. He is going to have every opportunity to succeed. And you'll hear in a couple of days' time, I uh, recorded a podcast doing the Oklahoma City uh, Thunder preview with Eric G of Locked on Thunder. We talked about Shea quite a bit and the Thunder's aim for him. So that'll be backed up there by Eric over there on that show. Let's look now at the Golden State Warriors and their breakout player. D'Angelo Russell had a breakout last season. I think Russell will be better this year because he'll play more minutes. Steph Curry is probably going to score the most points he's ever scored in his career. The guy I'm really interested in here is Kevon Looney. I don't think Willie Cauley-Stein is very good. I think Kevon Looney is significantly better. I also think Kevon Looney is going to come off the bench, but that doesn't matter. Steve Kerr has made a point of saying, we'd love to play Kevon Looney 30 minutes a night. Now, he's never done that before, so expecting that on an every-night basis is probably not going to work, but I feel pretty confident in saying he's going to play significantly more minutes than Cauley-Stein. He's going to close games. We saw him play really well in the playoffs. He gets steals. He gets blocks. He's efficient from the field. He rebounds. I think we're going to see more scoring. And I think we're actually going to see more three-point shooting from Kevon Looney. I think he's got a real chance to be a top 100 player. Uh, a uh, standard refrain for me. He's completely ranked incorrectly on ESPN. Yahoo ADP at 110 still provides you value to get him there. Fantrax 115. Again, I think he's a top 100 sort of a guy. I guess that depends. Do you think he'll play 24 minutes a night or 28 minutes a night? If you think 28, he breaks the top 100. I think that's where he goes. I honestly don't think that Willie Cauley-Stein is anywhere near the player that Looney is. And we'll see how the Warriors view that, whether they want to give those minutes. I think Cauley-Stein will be a, uh, a JaVale McGee, Zaza Pachulia type starter, a 20, 21, 22 minute a night guy with Looney getting the rest of that playing time there as well. And I don't think they'll go with Draymond Green at center very much because they don't really have any other wings or power forwards to play that position. So you're going to get a lot of Looney there. It's a real chance for him to step up and show how good he can be. His first two years were really wrecked with hip injuries and he's coming along and improved every single season. I think we're going to see more improvement from Kavon for this upcoming year. 
Lastly, we'll go to the Minnesota Timberwolves. I'm going with Josh Akogi as their breakout guy. A lot of people just think that the starting shooting guard job is going to be handed over to Jarrett Culver. I don't believe that. I uh, Very rarely are rookies good, especially ones who are picked yeah, outside those top two and three in weak draft class. Maybe Culver's going to be good. It's hard to judge. He is a sophomore coming out of college who didn't do enough in his freshman year to really even be considered being drafted. He provides good defense. The shot's the concern. He can pass, all that sort of stuff. But Akogi provided value as a rookie. He came in. He put up solid enough numbers. He's got uh, solid defense. He looked really, really good in summer league as well, which he should have as a second-year player, and that's what you want. If a player should be better than the other players out there, and they are, that's exactly what you need from him. So I think Akogi can come in, play more minutes, be an excellent steel streamer, Let's see if he can start to bring you know, anything else, though. Now, as he, he played, started 52 games last season, only 8.5 points, but the 1.3 steals is interesting. But what he's got to do is improve shooting. 28% from three uh, last season is, is not going to cut it. 39% overall. We see often players from their first to second year take big jumps, you know, six, seven, eight percentage point increases in three-point percentage and in two-point percentage. I think Akogi can do that, along with bringing those steal numbers, which provide value. He's going to be a fringe 12-team league guy. He's probably not a guy that we're drafting in many of those spots, but with an Yahoo rank of 283 and an ESPN rank of 195, any league that's deeper than 12-team leagues, he is a must-draft player. I actually wouldn't have too much of a worry in a 12-teamer, although there are probably guys better that I want to look at in that uh, in that back-end spot. Jordan Bell could be another interesting one if they give him 24 minutes a night backing up Covington and Towns. In 24 minutes a night, his combination of assists, steals, blocks, and field goal percentage can actually be useful for fantasy league. So Jordan Bell in Minnesota, another name to watch. But I've gone with Josh Kogi as my Timberwolves option here for breakout candidate. That'll do it for my breakout candidates in the Eastern and Western Conference over the last couple of shows. So make sure you're checking them out. Tell your friends, share it, leave a comment on the YouTube video below as well, and make sure you hit that subscribe button down uh, down below over there. Go and hit that button, hit the bell so you never miss an episode. Give it a thumbs up and subscribe, Apple Podcasts. Give it a five-star rating as well. Next week, we start the team, pre. actually tomorrow, we're going to start the team preview podcast, starting off with the Golden State Warriors. You're going to be smashed with podcasts over the next couple of weeks because I'm going to put them out two or three per day because I want to get them done in two weeks. So then we can go on to talking about the basketball monster projections, which the site is going to open for memberships on August the 31st. So a week away from that. We're going to do podcasts on the projections. Me and Kyle talking about the differences between us. Me and Matt Smith doing our uh, our fantasy positional tiers podcast as well. That's all going to be coming uh, once the site opens. Oh, Greg Ehrenberg will be on. We'll be doing season win totals. There's going to be tons of mock drafts, auctions, snake, head-to-head, roto, points leagues. Uh, we'll do some deeper league mock drafts, so many mock drafts, so many discussions, sleeper podcasts. I've got everything for you over here. If you want to win your fantasy basketball league uh, and hopefully be entertained in the process, this is where you need to be. Guys, We are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.
Mangok Matiang.